This is Breathless. I am Miles Herbert. Before we jump in, I just wanted to say, not only do we talk about a death in custody in this episode, we're also going to hear from David, the deceased. Just a warning. Let's go to the other side. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. How are you doing? Where we are, what we're doing. So we're at the coroner's court in Leacombe. It's been a while since you heard from us last, but we are back in your feet because today is the day the Dungay family hear from the coroner about what really happened to David. Well, when we pulled up, uh, a lot of the family had already arrived. They had hung their flags out. There was a big Aboriginal flag in front of the coroner's court. Louina Allen is the Indigenous Affairs Editor at Guardian Australia. There's a large crowd here, actually. There's about 50, 50 people here to see the, the verdict be passed down. And Taylor Fuller is a journalist who has been following this case from the beginning. There are posters all along the bollards. There were photographs of David and other, mostly men, who died in police custody. Just spoke to Paul, just spoke to Ernie. Um, Going to try and grab them again here in a minute. I think we saw Paul, David's nephew, and he had said he hadn't slept that night before. He was really nervous and worried about what was to come. Um, Well, our family's really expecting, I don't know, some sort of criminal charges or some accountability to be held against the individuals involved and not just blaming an organisation for the death of David Dungay Jr. It's about time today we make this get in the spotlight and, you know, raise awareness for Aboriginal deaths in custody and get David Dungay Jr. the justice he deserves because he's not here, he's deceased, he can't tell his side of the story. It was almost four years to the day that David had died in Long Bay uh, and it was three and a half years of waiting, I think, for the, for the coroner's results to be handed down. But we haven't gave up. We've stood strong over the past four years as a family, kept our heads high supported each other, you know, took to the streets of Kempsey, Sydney, you know, just being the voice for our loved one. And because he'd postponed the decision quite a few times this year, there was a lot riding on today. David Dungay's family, his brother Ernie, he's really upset, he's nervous, he's anxious. This is probably going to be one of the hardest days of his life. Latona's not here yet. We're still waiting for her. So I think when Latona did arrive, there was a lot of tension. We weren't actually allowed in the main courtroom. There was an overspill and we were forced into a room with other media and to the, the courtroom next to the, the main courtroom. So Deputy Coroner Derek Lee came into the room and said that his findings were quite lengthy. Indeed, there's over 100 pages worth of the coronial inquest. And because they were quite lengthy, he was going to read the main issues that he saw um, needed addressing. So he started to go through those quite systematically and, and in a quite dispassionate way. There were noises coming from the room next door and I think we could hear that the family's quite upset. Yeah, they were really upset and distressed. You could hear that they weren't happy with what the coroner had had to say. They were hoping for something more. Now they just walk off like nothing four years later down the track. So everybody spills out into the foyer in front of the coroner's court. After protecting murderers that has killed an Aboriginal person, the First Nations people of this land, 
and you got lawyers walking away. And the entire family is there, all of the activists are there. Don't blame organisations for its failures, blame individuals involved. Understandably, the family is very upset, and the Commissioner of Corrective Services, New South Wales, and his lawyer walk out the front door. How about that? Just remember what land you're walking on, respect it. And the Corrective Services Commissioner walked away towards his car, and Paul started to follow him. Hey, Commissioner! Train them properly. Stop killing our people on this land. Stop killing our people. See this face? How can you fucking sleep? See this face? Got no fucking conscience. See this face? I hope you see this face when you close your eyes. When you go like that, I see my uncle's face. I see the videos painted of my uncle being killed. I think after four years of this kind of process, the family just wanted to make sure that David wasn't going to be forgotten. When you close your eyes, I hope you remember this face. Because me and my family do remember the people that you're protecting, killing him. Bye. Bye. So the family is clearly upset, and there's obviously 102 pages of this report, but what's in it and what made the family so upset? That's a really good question. I think the, the, the main points are that the process leading up to David being taken out of his cell was completely unnecessary, and they didn't follow any of the appropriate guidelines. Let me just try and grab a quote, if I've got one. So... When it came to the removal of the biscuits from the cell in the first place, there was no direct order given by a medical person within Long Bay Jail Mental Health Hospital to actually have those removed, according to the coroner. So we heard a bit about this during the inquest. Basically, corrective services are saying the medical staff ordered the cell extraction and the medical staff is saying that the IAT was the one who wanted to storm the cell and perform the cell extraction. What did the coroner say? The coroner said that it was most likely that Nurse Zhu's evidence was unreliable in this situation. And the coroner said that he, Officer D had the view that the biscuits should be removed. And it was their concern that the biscuits be removed, not the nurse and that Officer E then misunderstood that it was the nurse's request uh, that the biscuits be removed. So he then escalated that to the senior officer, and that's when the IAT was called in. Did the coroner find that necessary? Uh, No, he said it was completely unnecessary. They shouldn't have been there. About to receive a phone call from an inmate at Long Bay Prison Hospital. So an hour before David was restrained in his cell, he made two phone calls. The first phone call was to his sister, Cynthia. If you do not wish to receive this call, please hang up now. And they were talking about his diabetes and how he was managing his blood sugar levels and just had a general discussion about how he was going. Go ahead, please. Hello. Hello. Good Hello. afternoon. Good afternoon. <laughs> Quite ringing you. Couldn't get free. I spent nearly $20 a month for the last couple of days. You know, everyday things like his insulin and how he was managing his diabetes. How's your insulin going? Yeah, it's going good, yeah. So it was a bit high today because I got a boy up and I ate some food. It's just one of those calls that I think everybody's made to a loved one. 
Well, well, never got lollies or anything. It's just a general call that a brother would make to a sister. What, do they give you lollies for you when you go low? Nah, they give me wee bits they... and that. Or sandwiches, extra sandwiches and that. Or not extra sandwiches, I'm bread. Bread jam. No, you know how we used to give you... you yeah, know, lollies, yeah, jelly beans and that. Remember when mum used to buy it? Yeah. <laughs> what? You right, but I... Yeah, I'm right. Being strong, there, old. Yeah, being strong, yeah. Keep my head up. Keep my head, chin up. Oi. Oi, oi. Yeah, I'll, what? Ring up tomorrow. Yeah. yeah I ring tomorrow, then, sis. I love leaving it. Yeah, yeah, lunchtime after lunch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah alright, then, sis. I'll ring all tomorrow, right, then. Love you, see you, then, boy. Love you. Take Take care. Care. I'll send you a card Stay too. Strong. I'll send you a yeah. card, Christmas card, you, for you and the kids and Maury. Yeah, all right then, sis. Obviously, we know that the IAT did use force and David was restrained. What did the coroner find in terms of the use of that restraint? He expressed concern that the officers thought that David was being disingenuous when he said he couldn't breathe. Several of the officers involved relied on their personal understanding, which was inherently flawed, about what was going on when they should have known and should have been aware of the dangers of positional asphyxia. So I think the coroner just came to a conclusion that the entire use of force was more or less unwarranted. What about medical staff during the intervention and restraint? What did the coroner find there? The coroner recommended that Nurse Sue's professional conduct should be reviewed by the Board of Nursing and Midwifery, which was probably the strongest recommendation that he made. Nurse Sue, coroner said, obviously found the whole situation confronting and had left the cell, but that he had a duty, he had a, there was a clinical reason why the nurse needed to be there to perform observations on David, particularly because he'd said he was having difficulty breathing. So outside of Nurse Zhu were any other medical staff or corrective service officers held responsible? No, the coroner did see this as a systemic problem. Uh, He said the IAT team's conduct was, quote, limited by systemic efficiencies in training. And then he went on to say that they were not motivated by malicious intent, which got another strong reaction in the room, Um, but they were a product of misunderstanding. So, in effect saying that there were there were multiple system failures but that no one individual was responsible. So one of the other important findings that the coroner made was that at no point were alternatives to the IAT considered. There were clearly other alternatives that should have been explored and weren't, including ringing the Aboriginal Welfare Liaison Officer. So it, it, the coroner said at no point was that even considered as an option. So around the same time that... David called Cynthia. He also placed a phone call to his mum, Latona. Go ahead, please. Hello. Good morning, sir. Good morning, mum. And in that phone call, he was just having a general, another general chit-chat with his mum about how he was coping with his mental health. Yeah. So how you been this morning? How's the medication going? Yeah, it's going good, yeah. Oh, they're going to get me to say I've been hearing the voices, like the bad voices and the good voices. They're going to get me to say that. Say it's all for And he mentioned to her that somebody had come along, an Aboriginal liaison officer had come along and and helped him with his mental health issues by conducting a a smoking ceremony. When he he did the smoking ceremony, it cleared it off then and yeah. Right near Christmas. 
Yeah, I got, I got, I sent it yesterday. Christmas card. Uh, no, not uh, yesterday, Monday, Sunday. So you might get it this week. Oh, the Christmas card. Yeah, yeah. I sent you a Christmas card during on Cynthia. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I already sent it. Yeah, I remember I was saying there to you that. That's why you was asking me, eh? Because I was saying there to you. Yeah. yeah. I read the yeah. end. You're gonna probably cry what I read in there. Oh. Nah, but when you read it, just be strong and keep a smile on your face. You know what I'm saying? That's for the cards for the years. I didn't send the cards. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It hurt me, you know what I'm saying, Mum? Yeah. Every time I do the same one or think about it, it's not there. Don't worry about it, Mum. I'm strong. You be strong now, Mum, okay? You when you read a letter, just put a smile on your face when you read it, okay? And tell Cynthia too when you talk to her. So yeah, I do that every morning with the mirror. All right, then, Mum. I love maybe then. Be strong. Let them crack you, babe. Nah. <laughs> nah. Look at that mirror, babe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, then, Mum. Bye, then. See you. Love you. Love you. Be strong. Keep you up. Take care now. Yeah. So we're outside the court now. What were the family saying? How did they respond to these findings? Yeah, so the family were, you know, justifiably distressed and upset. They had hope for something more than they got. Stop people killing the First Nations people. Is walk on this land, respect it and respect our people. It's not much to ask for. So when Paul spoke, he did say, once again, the system's protecting itself. The system is protecting individual officers. We want people charged. We want people held to account for what happened to my uncle. In 2015, on the 29th of December. Because it's nearly Christmas and he should be here with us. If corrective officers did not move David Dungay Jr. from cell 71 to 77, this would have been preventable. I wouldn't be standing here right now talking to you guys. I'll be home with my uncle getting ready for Christmas. It was the question was asked by one of the elders, how many of our children need to die in custody before they are properly trained and made aware of what their responsibilities are? It happened last week in Alice Springs where a young 19-year-old man got shot dead by police. This is not right what's happening and people need to be held accountable for their actions. At what point does the system have enough training to ensure that these sorts of deaths in custody don't happen? needs to come a time and a place where this does really happen. Criminal charges need to be laid against prison officers and guards, whether it's assaulting an inmate or killing an inmate whilst in their custody. So what about Latona? Where was she when all this was happening? So while there was a ruckus kind of going on outside, Latona was inside drafting her statement to the media pack that was waiting outside. Sorry. As loud as you can. Hi, my name is... Latona Dungay, a mother, mother of David Dungay Jr. She was so dignified and so calm and, so, and such a contrast to the other speakers, but, you know, with the same amount of love and passion. We need things to change in, the, in, in this country. Aboriginals, Australians are dying in all our jails far too often. We Aboriginal people, my people are almost 30% of jail population. It's a disgrace. And she said some really powerful things. She just said, look, my son, my beautiful son, one minute he was alive and the next he was dead. I am disgusted and deeply hurt. He wasn't, wasn't a danger to himself. The only dangers was from correctional service officers. Ask yourselves this, 
If a Aboriginal man held down a white man until he was dead, where do you think those Aboriginal men would be? Then she said, I'm his mother. And I want justice where the life of Aboriginal men is worth something. I'm going to fight. Until I live in the country where black lives matter. Yeah. Is this the end for the Dungays? Is this, you know, four-year colonial process the end of their fight? No, not at all. So uh, George Newhouse from the National Justice Project, who's one of the family's lawyers, said as much outside the court. He said to the crowd, this is not over by a long shot. One of the options is to pursue a civil case against the officers for wrongful death. The second option in which they said they intend to pursue is to recommend to the DPP, the Director of Public Prosecutions, that uh, criminal charges be laid against the officers. And then the third and final way they thought they were going to be able to pursue this case was through a wrongful death claim through the civil court. Thank you first and foremost to the Dungay family for always taking the time to share their story. This episode was produced by Taylor Fuller and our executive producer, Lorena Allen. Thank you to Miles Martignoni, Joe Koning, Laura Murphy-Oates, and Alan Liebitter. Breathless is a collaboration between Guardian Australia and 2SCR-FM 107.3 in Sydney.